Hello and welcome to Next on WQLN. I'm your host, Marcus Atkinson. If you get an opportunity, go to our Facebook page and like the page, if you will. Go to Twitter and join our conversation at 814-NEXT. Always a pleasure to have you lend your voices to the dialogue. Today, we want to talk about black commerce. Ever since the murder of George Floyd, there's been a renewed interest in African-Americans building a, solid, a more solid foundation for themselves economically, and other businesses and organizations have actually taken an, an extended interest as well. There are a lot of different um, strategies moving forward. You had the situation with Ice Cube's contract with Black America that was talked about at great length that he presented to both the um, the Biden administration and the Trump administration at that time. You've got Killer Mike, a rapper who joined forces with several other people to start an online banking platform and the list goes on. Nothing has been more important to African-Americans than trying to establish themselves economically uh, right now in this moment in time. And it's a very important movement. So for this first half, we wanna analyze uh, a new organization that is taking on that very thing right here in Erie, Pennsylvania. It's called Erie's Black Wall Street and to help us unpack their mission and vision our guest this morning. Uh, first, we have Ms. Kyra Taylor, who is the co-founder and head of community experience. Kyra, welcome to the show. Thank you. And then we have, have Ms. Devonna Paisley, who is the co-founder as well, and who leads the social media as their manager. Devonna, welcome to the show. Thank you, thank you for having me. So let's start with the, the genesis of Erie's Black Wall Street. How did this come about, uh, the concept for this uh, organization come about? Um, a few years ago, uh, just coming back from college and really seeing um, in Erie the lack of um, businesses that we didn't know that were black owned, we really wanted to just kind of create a space that cultivated people being able to come share their business, share their hobbies, share what they're really interested in, and so we created a Facebook page called Erie Black Wall Street. The inspiration behind Black Wall Street is simply off of Tulsa, Oklahoma. Mm -hmm. And really honestly, finding about, you know, being a thriving place in Oklahoma, a place that there were black owned businesses, a place that thrived in the community was really growing. But of course, unfortunately due to racism and, uh, and, and the burning down of the place, mm -hmm. we really wanted to bring that fire back. And we were like, how can we create something like that in Erie? Um, and so really our name is not anything brand new from the Black Wall Street part, but we were like, let's do something that would kind of inspire Erie in the way of honoring Tulsa, Oklahoma. Mm -hmm. And so we created with a couple friends. And since the few years that has been on Facebook, it really has grown. And we saw the growth and really wanted to take it off of Facebook and make it an actual foundation um, for businesses. And so with that, we created the nonprofit and we just became a nonprofit in Oh, I always get the date wrong, June or July. Kyra, you'll have to correct me on that one. Um, but that's where we're really honestly in the beginning process and we're excited. Kyra, talk to us about your, the choice of making this a 501c3 rather than a traditional uh, business. Um, I come from a community service background. I am a member of Sigma Gamma Rho Sorority Incorporated. So community service has always been something that is been, has been near and dear to my heart. And we've had a lot of discussions in the Erie's Black Wall Street um, private group page where we have over a thousand members um, about you know, the needs that are here in Erie. And um, 
seeing that there are pieces of the puzzle that are missing um, and things that we needed as a people that we were crying out for really. Um, and so we, we all said, you know, it's something higher than us. We have to do more than just have a Facebook page mm -hmm. um, where people can come together and, you know, have these good relationships and establish, you know, themselves. Um, so we decided, you know, let's do more and let's actually do programming that we know our people here in Erie County need. Mm -hmm. It seems like this has been received very well. I was impressed by the interview uh, during the homecoming, I want to say a week or so ago. Uh, talk to us a little bit about just the feedback that you are getting from not just the African-American community, from the, but from the greater Erie community as a whole. Well, I would say that our feedback has really been the same feedback that we've had the entire time we've been in existence. Um, we established ourselves in January of 2018 mm -hmm. and everybody has, the, the, the consensus has been, wow, didn't know you guys existed. And wow, this is exactly the type of thing that our community needs. So that just really um, let us know that we were doing what, is needed and that we are being effective. And so we hope to continue to grow and to hope. Uh, we hope that we are able to reach those who have not heard of us yet. Mm -hmm. Devonna, talk to us about 2020. Obviously this has been a tumultuous year and we have seen so many different tragic circumstances. Then you inject the, uh, the virus into it and black commerce has taken a hit across the country. African-Americans as a whole have suffered uh, disproportionately. How did the conversation shift behind closed doors as 2020 started to unfold? Oh, personally for me, you know, COVID has affected me as far as lo losing my job and going on furlough. And really what that has put on for me is a fire under my, my behind and said, okay, what is it that I can do to create uh, a more financial independence for myself? And really, honestly, the vision that I see that I see that we all need to be talking about is what is it that we can do to create financial uh, financial freedom for ourselves? There's we as a people are so creative. We as a people have built a lot of this country, and really, honestly, this what I see in 2020 is this being a year for people of uh, uh, Black people to thrive. And I know that right now we are in a time where there's so much that is up against us as a whole, as a country, but also as black people. But what I have been seeing is there has been a shift in people wanting to show their their uh, their creativity. People are creating businesses. You see black women on the on the lead of creating businesses and really thriving in those areas and really wanting to show show what they have. And I think what Erie Black Wall Street is wanting to do is create that culture of black excellence, that culture of wealth. Um, and to be an inspiration for not only Erie, but as a whole a, a across the country. Mm -hmm. And so we look at this as just being a foundational piece, as a seed being planted. Um, and that's that's what, how I view it. I know there's so much going on, but I think that this is a time for us to really look and reflect and say, okay, what is it that I can do to add to the growth in our community? Mm -hmm. And really, I'm starting to see that in Erie. I'm starting to see a lot of new businesses pop up and it's beautiful. It's really beautiful. Kyra, your team is relatively young. And I think that's one of the things that is so exciting about watching the development of uh, Erie's Black Wall Street. Talk about that a little bit and, and what's the significance of that in, in your opinions? 
Well, um, as far as us being young, I know a lot of us are actually a little wiser than our years. Mm -hmm. We've probably been told a lot during our life. Um, and our thing is that we just want to bridge the gap. There are a lot of people who are older than us, much older than us, that have, you know, started laying, the, that have laid the groundwork. And we're just really trying to just come behind and pick up the torch where they left off or, you know, to assist in that process. So um, we just, we just want change and we're willing to do the work that it takes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. As you started developing this, this whole concept and uh, from the time that it started in January of 2018 into what we see right now, uh, give us a sense of uh, the, uh, maybe some of the consult that you've turned to or how, how have some of these ideas come about? Because I know that when it comes to business, community, there's oftentimes different people that people depend upon for mentoring and consult and things along those lines. Is there a team or a group of, of uh, consultants, advisors, or whomever behind you that you've depended upon for advice going along the way? Devonna, you want to tackle that? Yeah, currently our team, so it's five of us. Mm -hmm. uh, currently our team is myself, Kyra, Angelica Spragans, my wife, um, Brian Atterbury, and Dr. Rhonda Matthews. Mm -hmm. um, really, we've really honestly kept it um, small and tight at this point because we realize that with business and with um, growth, you do want to stay on the right path when it comes to vision and really wanting people who are going to be adding to that vision. And so at this point, we do look at collaborations. We want to look at, you know, people who are like, hey, there is a way that we can help you. But at this point, we're looking at, okay, are these places, are these people wanting to fulfill our vision? Are they going to see our vision and want to carry that on with all of us? And so honestly, right now at this point, I'm really grateful for our team because we all have different backgrounds. Um, we, have, we have Dr. Matthews, who's a professor at, at Edinburgh who honestly has been a part of politics here, who's been a part, she's really honestly a part of the art community here. She has a lot of experience and, you know, being a person who's coming from another place who's not, who is, who is not an Erie native, it's nice to see a different perspective. Um, and then we have most of the people on our, our board are, I would say our native, our um, half are native and half are, what is it called? Sorry, tr um, transplants but we have all a different perspective that we really bring in. And that's what I really like um, about our team. It's very, it's, we all have really bring different strengths. Mm. So I'm on your website right now reading your mission. The mission says to serve as a vehicle for change and empowerment of Erie's black community through cultivating meaningful relationships, education of members, the creation of social networks and the promotion of black entrepreneurship. Kyra, tell us a little bit about that mission and how it was developed. Um, the mission was developed by the original reason why we created our Facebook page. Our Facebook page was created to have that safe space where we could cultivate meaningful relationships. And by meaningful, we mean like not just, hey, what can you do for me? It's, hey, how can we do something together? I need to get to know you. As a person who's not natively from Erie, um, one of the things that I, I look for is people that I can connect with. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't have to be on a monetary level. It could just be on a friendship level. It could be on a spiritual level. Um, so that is one reason for that aspect of our, our mission. And then the other um, aspect is 
we want to have the change in our community um, that is drastically needed. Um, you know, Erie has made a lot of these lists that are um, not so good with, you know, ranking number 515 as worst or slowest growing city in America um, as being rated one of the worst place for African Americans here and having the poorest zip code of 16503. Um, so there was really a need um, to help change those things. So if we can do that through, you know, actually getting to know one another and building a relationship with one another and then focusing on, you know, our businesses here. How can our businesses grow? How can we support those businesses? Mm -hmm. um, and that's really where that mission came from. Yeah, and I, I would like to sure. add to that, you sure. know, really honestly looking at us being on those, um, on those lists and really looking at, uh, you know, how it is at this point, we're looking at like, dang, another list we're on. I view that, you know, to change the narrative change to shift that perspective, I view that then there's room for growth. Um, and I think that what I see in Erie is we're in this, um, this kind of transitional phase where we're, the seed has been planted and now we're kind of going through this growing pain of, okay, what, where, what, how are we going to take ourselves? Where, what, what, what way are we going to go? And I look at those, let those um, articles and those numbers as being a form of, okay, it's time to do some work. It's time to grow. And that's what we really want to add to is jumping on that wave of change, uh, jumping on that wave of growth um, and development in our city. Mm -hmm. I want to read something from um, Black Enterprise Magazine. It talks about minority-owned businesses through COVID-19. And it talked about the, just the amount of businesses that have suffered of color uh, since, yeah. since COVID-19 has ascended. It says from February to April of this year, there was a 41% decline in Black-owned businesses and a 32% drop in Latinx businesses. White entrepreneurs experienced only a 17% decline. Then it goes on to talk about the Paycheck Protection Program and how uh, only about 12% of, of African-Americans or Latinos that applied for that as business owners received that assistance and 41% received none. And so are you seeing any kind of uh, additional support? Or are you offering any kind of additional support to Black-owned businesses? I noticed on your website that you have a robust page of these businesses listed. And to be honest with you, until I saw your page, I didn't realize that there were that many African-American-owned businesses, which obviously was your purpose. You know, mm -hmm. what, what are you offering to, to kind of help people navigate these uncertain times with COVID-19, especially as you see it disproportionately affecting these businesses more than others? So I would say um, that we just want to have access. The, well, one of the reasons why those numbers are so high is because we don't have access to all of, the, all of this information. Um, our white counterparts do. And so one of the things we had was a listening session with the Chamber of Commerce here. And to look at the statistics from the poll, a lot of our, our African-American businesses did not know that there were certain things that they could get, certain grants that they can get, certain loans that we they can get. So the one thing that we said we were going to make it our goal and we are still working on is actually just compiling a list of those resources. Um, and anytime that resources are sent to us, the one thing that we want to make sure we're not doing is holding on to those resources for ourselves. We need to share this information out. So we will often post 
um, any grant opportunities in our group. We will also post um, any type of loans or anything that can better help our businesses here. And like I said, we are compiling a database so that moving forward, it will be directly on our website where, hey, I need somebody who can help me with X, Y, and Z. Let me go to Aries Black Wall Street's website and, oh, here's a list of you know people that can help. And so that is one of the things that I think is, is very important in how we are trying to assist. Mm. And so to quote your vision here, to create a culture of black excellence and wealth in Erie that serves as an inspiration for generations to come. And so with that being said, uh, Kyra, we'll stay with you for a minute, then we'll go to Devana. Where are you hopeful when you look at Erie's economic landscape for African-Americans? Uh, I, I would love to see more home ownership, more people being able to afford the the things that are due to them. Um, I see that you know we are we are at a point where we're not making those lists anymore, and that that's my overall um, vision is that you know we have this sense of self worth that we haven't had before. And a lot of times when you keep getting the, the bad end of the stick, you may feel complacent, you may feel you know, beaten down, but we want to just have that inspiration where, you know, hey, X, Y, and Z person um, started that business and if they can do it, I can do it. And that's really just the spirit that I see and that I would hope for. Mm -hmm. So Devana, to go back to you, is there a particular African-American owned business in Erie that inspires you personally? Hmm. Oh man, there's a few right now. Uh, let's see. So one that really has been sticking out to me. Um, oh man, this is hard because I, I like there. This is hard because I like all of them. Okay, but they just got a space. Um, actually, they're simply unique designs. Mm. Um, Mary Woodard is, I believe that's. Oh, I want to get the name right. Yeah, you're um, right. Is that right? By yeah, Mary Woodard. I will have to say as a whole, as a collective, their business is honestly, their marketing is so on point. Um, they're always keeping you updated with what's going on. They are a family owned business. It's her and her husband. They do so awesome. What type so of I would say right this? now, what type of they business? are, um, so they they do a party and, and events and whatnot. They oh, do okay. like parties and events and they do decoration and decor. Um, they are on point. Uh, they're definitely on point. Um, so that's one business that I see right now that I think is definitely on my, you know, that's on my, that's on my radar as far as like growth and seeing them grow. Excellent. Before we, now we're, we'll bring the next two guests in here shortly. Can you ladies stick around and, and be a part of the next discussion or is your time limited right sure. now? Sure. Excellent. Sure. As, as we segue into this next segment and bring our next two guests in, tell us something that, that we may or may not know about uh, Erie's Black Wall Street that you want people to keep in mind as they're listening. Um, the one thing that I would love for people to keep in mind is that we are more than just a Facebook group. We are more than just for Black businesses. Um, we actually are looking at the community as a whole. That's individuals, that's families, and that's the business aspect. And so we've actually um, started offering programming and workshops. So we had a workshop um, in October that was focused on um, credit education, why credit is important to us, how credit affects African-Americans disproportionately to our counterparts um, and we were able to give away 
to four different people six months worth of free credit um, repair services through Thrive Financial Consultants. And so we actually have a workshop this um, that's coming up that's going to be on budgeting and then we have one on home ownership and that's our first phase that's just going to focus on the individuals and families and then our second phase is going to be like a business 101 um, course um, getting access to those resources and then a marketing um, course for our business owners mm -hmm. excellent ladies thank you so much for coming on and, and talking to us about our Erie's Black Wall Street we look forward to continually following the growth trajectory of your organization. And thank you for sticking around for the second segment as I introduce our next guests. Uh, our first guest that we have via Zoom also is Mr. David Dix from Harrisburg. He is the CEO and founder of Luminous Strategies, LLC. Dave, welcome to the show. Hello, great to be here, thank you. <laughs> All right, and then we also have uh, live in studio here, Mr. Mark Blunt, who is a concerned citizen, he calls himself, and just recently launched a podcast called Blunt Conversations. Mark, welcome to the show. Thank you. So, Dave, we'll start with you because I know that this is something that uh, is very dear to your heart. Talk to us a little bit first about Luminous Strategies and give people an idea of, of what that looks like. Sure. Uh, Luminous Strategies is a now 10-year-old government relations, public affairs, and campaign management firm. Headquartered now in Harrisburg, founded in Philadelphia, uh, with offices in Erie, uh, of course, my hometown, Pittsburgh, Harrisburg, Philadelphia, and Nairobi, Kenya. Um, we've done a lot in, uh, obviously, government relations. We're the largest African-American-owned government relations firm in the state of Pennsylvania and probably in the region. Uh, we have 13 employees through those, three different, through those five different locations, uh, with our headquarters being in Harrisburg. Um, the focus of our work is obviously government relations lobbying, uh, and we represent, we were fortunate to represent uh, some great clients and being able to do some really impactful work. Uh, we represent uh, the freight rail industry, so Conrail, Norfolk Southern, uh, we represent them from uh, the Atlantic Ocean through to the Mississippi River. Mm. We represent the Philadelphia International Airport, where, you know, obviously with COVID, a number of restrictions around travel have affected uh, their ability to grow and thrive and be a connector for the Philadelphia region. Uh, as their commerce is all is all suffering. Mm. Um, but what I'm most proud of in terms of the work we've done over the past year is led the fight to secure a community college charter in my home county of Erie County. Mm -hmm. uh, that was a fight that didn't come with with without its challenges. Um, not only just getting the community all in lockstep and supportive of, of, of this opportunity, but also the political challenges. As you know, uh, Senate President Pro Tem Joe Scarnati was adamantly against um, at community college in Erie County. He had another option, the Rural Regional College, um, and it created a lot of political uh, hurdles, hurdles of which I'm, I'm proud to say that I was able to jump over, deliver the college to Erie uh, County, and we're going to continue to pursue funding so it can be supported properly. Excellent. I was very excited about getting everyone together, and we'll bring Mark in in a second for this show because I know that with our, with the, our guests from the first segment, uh, the ladies from Black Wall Street, that you have spoken on several occasions about uh, this organization and you have some hopeful words for uh, what they are seeking to accomplish and so has Mark. Tell us a little bit about um, just your take on Erie in this particular space of black commerce and black business. Um, well, it, it's, com it's complex, right? So Erie, as has been noted in the programs earlier, has been recognized as the worst city in America for African-Americans only three years ago. Uh, and then followed recently by the slowest city for economic and job growth. 
those two compounding factors really make it for a difficult environment to grow and thrive your business. Um, but I'm an Erie native and I've seen success, right? Uh, even through those challenges. My father ran a construction company, uh, concepts in construction that did really well, but really didn't achieve uh, significant success until he went outside of Erie. Uh, started doing uh, projects in the Delaware, Maryland, I'm sorry, in the, in the, in the uh, DC, Maryland, Virginia area, and ultimately did the Washington National Stadium. Um, which was his, 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 his most prolific project. But again, in Erie, my father was given curb cutouts. Someone who built the Major League Baseball Stadium in Erie was given only curb cutouts. When they did the, uh, the uh, ADA, uh, the uh, Americans with Disabilities Act, and they ensured that every corner had curb cutouts, that's the work that black construction businesses were getting 25 years ago. Mm. Um, so I understand that it can be difficult, but I also have seen uh, seen folks be successful. When I think about you know folks like uh, John Taylor with John Taylor Funeral Home, that was a legacy company that that I respected as a as a youth growing up, that I had you know personal and, f and familiar relationship with, and it was it was an indicator of what's possible in terms of business. Uh, some may remember Charlie Pittman, who ran uh, the Erie Times News for a time, and then also. Uh, again, with my father started Minority, which was, a, which was the first minority construction company. I mean, Charlie Pittman is someone who's gone on to do newspapers all over the country, but his time in Erie really was transformative in, in terms of kind of turning the tide for black businesses to be seen as legitimate and on par with uh, our, our white counterparts. And of course, you have our Benjamin Wiley, who literally created a paradigm shift uh, for opportunities and access for African-Americans, not only in Erie, but throughout the Commonwealth. So I mean, we have examples in Erie of people who have been successful, people who have persevered through uh, a very racially oppressive and economically stagnant environment. Um, but it's going to take collaboration with great voices like on, on, on this program to really get us to the next phase, particularly in a 21st century way. Excellent. So, Mark, this is a conversation that you, this is not a new conversation for you. I know that you have played your part in trying to get people together around this combination, this conversation of economic empowerment for African-Americans, business ownership, home ownership, working together politically. Give us your take on kind of this rallying cry right now in this unique moment in history for African-Americans to take that step and say, if, if we're going to solidify ourselves, now is probably the best opportunity we've ever had. Give us your, your take on that. Well, first of all, I'd like to congratulate these the young ladies on their successful uh, endeavor, and then congratulate David on his part with the uh, Erie Community College. I think now is an exciting time. I uh, think that our attitudes must be different, must be more positive, and we must remove these ceilings and these barriers perceived and otherwise. What, what, what I see is we have more resources than we ever had. And I would like to see more collaborations in taking that, that next step into using those resources and creating more opportunities for ourselves along with demanding better maybe aid or maybe assistance that other businesses are getting like on the Bayfront tax credits and things like that which the Sheraton Hotel gets a tax credit, one of the richest corporations in the world, and they get free taxes on our most expensive, most valued property. And people that get 25 million for downtown, and we kind of like want to share into that 
prosperity or those opportunities so we could grow. Because as David has said, we have the talent. What we lack sometimes is the opportunities. And then sometimes we, we lack the will to work together. And I commend, as the young ladies have said about the credit, working on credit repair, I would even go a further step that, and me and you have talked about it, our markets. I would like to see us create our own credit union so our people can come and we can help into that thing. We have the resources to do that. But what we have to have and what we must get is the will to work together to do that. Mm -hmm. Interesting point. Even right now as we talk about credit unions, black-owned banks, there are, there are 22 black-owned banks and 20 black-owned credit unions in the United States across 23 states and in the District of Columbia. And so access to capital is a huge part of this conversation. Mark, when you were on your show last, you talked a little bit about um, Ice Cube's contract with Black America. Yes. Uh, we also talked a little bit about at that time the um, how it coincided in some ways with this platinum plan that President Trump at that time was, was trying to put forth uh, prior to the election. Uh, ladies, we'll start with you. When Ice Cube came forward with this contract with Black America, and you had all of these different opinions based upon him shopping that plan to both political parties, what was your take on not just the, the content of what he was trying to accomplish, but the methodology? Because obviously there were a lot of different opinions uh, based upon what should or shouldn't be said, who should or who shouldn't put it forth. Uh, give us your take on that, and then we'll segue into the nuts and bolts of what we look like economically. Mm. Uh, at first, I'm not going to lie, at first I was interested, I was intrigued because I said, okay, you know, this person has a plan. I, I watched, I mean, I read the plan. I was with it. I actually even signed the, um, uh, he had like a, there was a, poll you can sign. So I signed the poll. Um, but then when I really started doing more and more of my research and more and more of just kind of like filling into it being Ice Cube, um, I was kind of like, what? I, I feel like the there was a lack of kind of collaboration, a lack of on his part, really not getting everybody onto the at the table for that conversation to then present it. I feel it was a little, um, uh, it was very, at for me personally, I feel like it was very, um, premature. Um, I, I don't know why it was that, why he did it in that way. Mm -hmm. um, but I can understand wanting some change. And I can understand at this point, wanting to see both sides be a part of the conversation. Um, but I just, I, the way that I think he did, it was very, it was premature. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, let me read something from the, the platinum plan that President Trump had put forth at that time. Some of the points in which um, not just Ice Cube was interested in, but others as well. Access to capital was a big part of this plan. And, and some of the bullet points was uh, increased opportunities for small business lending and technical assistance through community development, uh, financial institutions in order to grow business and create generational wealth opportunities with over $400 billion in lending. Another bullet point was increase the number of black owned contracting businesses. Dave, you talked a little bit about your father's experience, uh, financial services entities and private equity investment funds through regulatory reform up to 40 billion in government funding alongside traditional private investment. So Dave, I go back to you for a second and, and then Mark will come back to you. I know that access to capital is one of your rallying cries, be it the Ice, Cube con Ice Cube's contract with Black America, uh, this particular segment of, or the Platinum Plan in general. Uh, give us your take on the struggles that African-Americans have had with having access to capital and banking. Yeah, uh, that's, a, that's a heavy question. So let me try to unpack it as best I can. 
I, I think when you think about access to capital and banking uh, for African Americans, it's a one that it's a it's a story that's ripe with uh, exploitation throughout history. Um, just as uh, slavery was ending, um, they had Frederick Douglass kind of go around the country and tell uh, these newly freed people that they should put their monies into 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 this this, this federal bank right. uh, for for form, formerly enslaved people. Well, it wasn't five or six years before all of that money was fleeced uh, by the federal government, and the little bit of money that people put into the bank was not there for them to not only invest in, but not even there for them to kind of recoup the, what they what they initially invested. So I think when you look back at the arc of African Americans' relationship with financial institutions, be that redlining, be that you know post-slavery post reconstruction, mm -hmm. and be that right now, trying to get business loans and economic opportunities, th they have been on the wrong side of history. You know, the banking and financial institutions have been on the wrong sides of history. And it, it, people, African-Americans often get criticized for, you know, keeping their money in the coffee jar, hiding in the mattress. But, you know, for us, that's oftentimes the safest place to put it. And that's mm -hmm. one place you know you will not be exploited and you will you will have the money that you're putting away. Right. Um, so I think it's important to, to kind of let, to have this conversation with the historical perspective that banks have not been our friends. Mm -hmm. um, uh, Apple TV just put out a movie called The Banker, and I suggest everybody see that. Oh, yeah. Uh, Samuel L. Jackson. I mean, it really does explain the lengths to which African-Americans, even well-capitalized African-Americans, had to go to, to become a player mm. in the financial space. I mean, they hired a 27-year-old white guy to be the front of the bank when it was their money and their ideas, right? Mm -hmm. So again, the, 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 the history between Af the African-American community and the banking uh, institutions is one that's rife with exploitation. Mm -hmm. Here, let's bring us fast forward to today, because I, I know you have, you, have, you have a time limit here. Let's bring us fast forward to today. We were, this year, we were confronted with the two, two pandemics. One we weren't very familiar with, and we didn't know much about this COVID-19 thing, and how does it transmit, and how does it work, right? But the second thing was the pandemic of race that we've been dealing with for 500 years. Mm -hmm. And America should have been more prepared, you know, to kind of really step into these conversations and have these conversations in an honest way. Um, but they weren't, right? So now here we are at the end of a, 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 a vitriolic election year um, where there was supreme division. There was no, you know, I mean, we have Joe Biden is the, the president-elect, but by no stretch of the imagination was this a, a, a resounding victory for, for, for the president, which mm -hmm. tells us a little bit about where the American people stand. And we have competing perspectives on how we change the dynamic of relationship with these financial institutions. Mm -hmm. Go back to COVID-19 just for a moment. I'm going to wrap up here quickly, uh, Marcus. The disparities in how federal money, our tax dollars, were then given back to taxpayers, African-American taxpayers who own businesses, was right. And you, you, know, you quoted some statistics. But whether it be the Paycheck Protection Program initially, whether it be the idle loan program mm -hmm. that still African-Americans have a difficult time having those loans relieved, you know, or whether it be the a small business grant program through the CDFIs that the state ran, you know, they, they earmarked $100 million for African-American, for black minority-owned businesses, right? Because they never say African-American, for minority-owned businesses. Of that $100 million, we didn't even get $10 million mm. that was identified for us. And these are, you know, this is administered by a Democratic governor. This is administered by, you know, community development, uh, financial institutions that are in our community that we should have a relationship with. But when we look back on 
just how the banking industry, the finance industry, uh, respected black businesses through this pandemic. Mm -hmm. I think it just it, it just calls into question that long arc, arc, long arc of history that I that I identified. Dave, thank you so much for unpacking that, Mark. He's but there hit is on... hope. There is hope. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely, he's hit on a lot of things that I know you have talked about before. Chime in on some of that because I know you wanted to get in prior to Dave having his say. As Dave said, it's, it's a lot to unpack in, in this short time, but I, but I'll say this is ironic that Dave called it a pandemic, racism pandemic. A pandemic is defined when it affects everybody and then you get a response and then you can get an emotion, you could get a, a remedy quicker when it affects everybody. But when you don't feel like racism impacts you, which I don't feel like this country feel it has a racism problem based off of the, the election results. We feel one way and they feel another way. So you won't see the response that you think is logical on this thing. And when it comes to these, these things that David was speaking on, we have to have a real conversation of reparations. And what does that mean? And how do we use that to repair what was done to us? And one of those things that we might have to do is, is look at how do we get in our predicament? And if you look at that, you say, how do you make it whole? If you find that you were guilty of putting us in this predicament, most settlements come with how do you make something whole? How do you, how do you bring it back? And um, the United States haven't been willing to commit all the way. They propose, but they haven't been willing to commit from 40 acres to a mule, to, uh, 40 acres and a mule to, to other things like that. We know that they had redlining. We know that we have discriminatory, discriminatory practices. We know these things. But when we come to these loan programs and these grant programs, I think what we have to understand is the patients that we're dealing with, which is our community, we are not whole. So when you come to these areas and you say, hey, your credit has to be A1 from the rip, we already know that's not gonna happen. That's gonna eliminate a lot of people. I was a business owner. I once had a subway, subway in the area, uh, a franchise. The things that, that, the hoops that I had to go through, I don't feel the average person would have to go through. They sent me through a Pennsylvania minority business development uh, opportunity grant thing. And by the time they got done with me, I was kind of like, my dream was kind of chastised. Not only was it chastised, it was dampened. And when you take all these young, vibrant entrepreneurs and they go through these programs and they're told what they can't do, how it can't go, and you kind of like dampen their dreams, then what is these programs for? And then we say, well, they're not even using the money because it leaks out what you have to go through to go through to even get the money. And then one last, last point. We had something that's called uh, Community Reinvestment Act which was supposedly supposed to be where the banks come in and they take some of the wealth that they've made and they reenact and they bring it back to the community. And they, and they kind of like raise the tide in our community. We haven't demanded enough return on that. And that's why I have proposed where we have our own credit unions in partnership, demanding that that Community Reinvestment Act be part of this. And, be, and the banks could be part of our healing, using people like David to say, hey, how do we make this right? How do, we, how, do we, how do we be more constructive? How do we get more bang for our buck? But realizing that we're dealing with a hurt people, realizing we have to change the guidelines here, where we have to make it accessible. We can't propose programs where we say everybody got to have A1 credit when we know that the harm that was done to them, whereas, where it was uh, profit, profiteering off of credit cards, payday loans, and all these things mm -hmm. have harmed these people. That's excellent points, Mark. So, Kyra, I'm going to bring you back in here in just a second. Uh, as we're having this conversation, you look at some of the premier examples 
of exploitation and discrimination, historically speaking, be that slavery, be that redlining, be that the prison industrial complex. The common denominator is these are all economic levers. These are all systemic issues that have caused economic gain for one to the detriment of another. And so when people have conversations about the trajectory of America and the history of America when it comes to African-Americans in particular, and what is the country willing to do to set this straight, one has to be reminded that any and everything that's been done to African-Americans has always had an economic incentive. The rise of unions in this country. The list goes on and on. I wanna read something and get Kyra's reaction to it and kind of go around the table. And it says, in May, Citibank announced a partnership program with the National Banking Association to purchase up to $50 million in loans from minority-owned depository institutions. And in March, Wells Fargo also committed $50 million to supporting these minority-owned depository institutions as well. The Harbor Bank of Maryland and Liberty Bank. This year, in an effort to bolster support for entrepreneurs of color, J.P. Morgan announced in its Advancing Black Pathways program plans to ex expand its Entrepreneurs of Color Fund. And the last thing I'll point out, uh, we talked about Black-owned credit unions. Hope Credit Union is one of the larger of these credit unions, and it says also that Hope Credit Union recently landed a $10 million deposit from Netflix, the first step in streaming the company's initiative, uh, in the streaming company's initiative to bank 2% of its holdings with black-owned institutions. And so it goes to what Mark is talking about with um, kind of like this, this reparations-type concept. Give us your thought process on uh, programs like this, and is this something that we can seek to replicate more often in Erie? And then after Kyra Dave, let's bring you in on that, because I know you have a lot to say on this particular topic. Um, I definitely think that we are, in the time that we're in right now, it's strike while the iron is hot and you see a lot of these companies doing going the extra mile for their particular type of company what i would and I, i'm grateful for that and i do think that that could be implemented or rec, uh, replicated here in erie however you know my thing is okay once this dies down a little bit once this fire dies down is this still going to be a thing is this still going to be something that they are really focused on so i while i am hopeful i always believe that actions speak louder than words mm -hmm. so dave as i come to you let's add a political slant to that because if you look at the work of stacy abrams in her organization in georgia when it comes to registering african-american voters when you look at the role that philadelphia played in this past election detroit played in this last election you know the list goes on and on and when you look at the role that black women in particular have played in these elections, certainly, and Mark, I know you talked about South Carolina and, and, and Congressman Clyburn and, and them vetting almost exclusively, if not exclusively, African-American women for that vice presidential seat. There's another debt to be paid from the Democratic Party this year. Blacks delivered for the Democratic Party. Speak to that on top of the economic aspect of this conversation. Yeah. I'll try to I'll try to build that all in. So um, first, I think it's important to note that race and racism was created by white people to ensure an imbalance in the power dynamic. So it's not something that black people created. We've suffered through it. We've we've been resilient and persevering persevering through it, but we didn't create it. So it's up to the white people to fix it. It's created. It's not being racist. Mm -hmm. and, and that's and that's from the individual level to the institutional level. So you know I don't really get into this back and forth. 
about, you know, what my responsibility is to make people less racist. Right. You know, I kind of try to create the historical timeline to know what we've gone through and then say, now, what are you going to do? Are you going to take a step towards me or not? Right. Um, I think to, I was saying at the end of the last segment, that there's some hope. And I think in terms of where there is hope, you mentioned in the, in the first segment, uh, this Greenwood Bank, which is an initiative uh, that's supported by uh, Ryan Glover, who started uh, Bounce TV, the mm -hmm. first African-American television network. Mm -hmm. um, Ambassador Andrew Young, obviously ambassador mm -hmm. to the UN under Clinton and former mayor of Atlanta. And Michael Render, better known as Killer Mike. Now, this is a bank that's being supported by a larger financial institution. They haven't identified that, but you can think of a JP Morgan or a Goldman Sachs who's saying we're going to we're going to we're going to back this initiative. Right. So and, and, and it's a completely online ability for people to have financial uh, bankability. Um, so these are steps that are in the right direction. When we think about those 22 African-American banks in the country, one of them happens to be in Pennsylvania and Philadelphia, United Bank. So when we think about Pennsylvania kind of having its own African-American-led bank, and as we kind of develop on these conversations, thinking about reaching out to the leadership of United Bank, so how they can support uh, as this concept grows. Mm -hmm. But I, I, I want to spend enough time on the political piece, uh, as I think is necessary. Um, you are right to point out that African-Americans delivered this election for Joe Biden. When he was about to lose in the primary before South Carolina, it was Joe Clyburn and others who said, Jim Clyburn and others who said, we got to support this guy. We're going to be all behind him. And that's what happened. After the South Carolina primary went in his favor, then you had former President Barack Obama reaching out to people to tell him, get out the race. This is, it's got to be clear, right? And then you had the general election, where, as you pointed out, Philadelphia, Detroit, uh, uh, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, mm -hmm. were all critical in these small margins of victory that Joe Biden had in these very critical states. Um, that needs to be reciprocated in, in a way that's more than lip service. And right. part of my frustration through the campaign, um, although there's, there's, there's a number of different things to point out uh, about President Trump, I never heard a president-elect Biden say anything he was going to do for African-Americans. Mm -hmm. And as he was consistently being buoyed by African-Americans, particularly African-American women, he never said anything that he was going to do for African-Americans. And his political track record, uh, absent the eight years where he supported Barack Obama as vice president, would not lead a, a thinker to believe that he's going to be an outsized advocate for African-Americans. That's not, that's not his history, mm -hmm. right? So it leads me to say that, you know, what... Uh, Osei Jackson, better known as Ice Cube, did, that was a good step. And he got excoriated for it, for even lifting up a conversation about comparing the two candidates. Mm -hmm. And while it's fair to say President Trump has a lot of neg negatives, it's also fair to say that in an election, we're literally comparing candidates. And it's not enough to say this person is terrible and this person says nothing. So I right. say all to say that we are in, we are in a position of leverage uh, over these next 65, 70 days until right. he's sworn in as president. We need to make sure that, you know, folks that we know on transition and the folks that we know that are going to be serving in leadership in this administration are hearing from us. Um, and I've always hated this idea that the black community needs to come up with its own prescriptions for success. Right. Mm -hmm. right. You know, you're the president of the United States of America. You have the world's best scientists, engineers, econo economists at your disposal. I really love to see some uh, forward thinking from this administration to think mm -hmm. about, you know, what are those systemic problems as everyone can identify? And then what are the solutions that the president without Congress, the mm -hmm. president 
can start to move in the direction of. Um, this is a critical conversation for black people and one that I think we as a community are ready for, but we have to step into. Let's bring Mark back into this. And then after Mark, Devon, I want to bring a question into you. Mark, go ahead. One, one thing that David brings out very well is that we didn't create this problem. And I want to, I like to, like what David does is use history. When, after World War II, when the war impacted Berlin and Germany and they destroyed it, they didn't depend on the Germans to come up with a plan. They came up with something called the Marshall Plan where they got together and they said, how do we rebuild this? How do we bring it back up? Well, it's the same case right here. After 500 years of, of, of terrorism, after 500 years of discrimination, after 500 years of, of, of the things and the plights that we've been going through, it shouldn't be just up to us to fix this problem. And then we play this game where we say, well, since you all didn't come up with something, we, we, can't, we can't figure it out because we know how to figure it out. If we can split an atom, we can fix this problem right here. And so what we have to do, what we, what, in the meantime, I would suggest that, as David said, we come up with some prescriptions and we come up with stuff like, why didn't we get a piece of the marijuana bill, the legalization of marijuana or the casinos, and that type of legislation can impact us. We can do set-asides, and we act like we can't do set-asides, and you can. And those type of things that have just, just wreaked havoc on our community that's become legal, we have no piece of it. We have no piece of it. Mm -hmm. And those are the type of things where you cash in on being your Democrat. And this is under a Democratic governor. This is under, this is a, however government it is. Well, whoever's in rule, you should have demanded, we should have demanded more from those type of things. I want to read a stat real quick um, and get Devonna's reaction to it. It says 19% of all employer-based businesses were female in the African-American community, female-led. 36.1% of all black-owned businesses were headed by women. It's the highest share of businesses within any racial or ethnic group, and so it didn't escape my notice that these are predominantly sisters, even, even within your organization. So when you compare that or add to that, again, the role that black women have played, not just in this, this election, but historically in, real, in elections. You look at the role that African-American women have played in terms of um, they, their educational levels, compared to the rest of the population. This feels like a special year for black women. How do you lean into that and take advantage of the moment? Well, uh, when we talk about reparations, I think black women first and foremost should be the ones that get it first and foremost, because we have always been backbones for our communities. Um, it almost brings me to tears to think about that because um, as a black woman, just seeing the amount of growth as I personally have had and then seeing the amount of growth that my friends have had. I think we're in this year of really uplifting one another, um, of really wanting to see one another prosper and want to see our communities prosper. And when I when we talk about black owned businesses and black women, we have to also understand that black women are also leading in getting a college education. Mm -hmm. And so you know, even if you don't go to college or even if you've only gone for a year, you've still went and you still tried and you and you kind of started that foundation for yourself where you wanted you wanted something else for yourself. And so I'm going to shout out people who have gone to college and who, yes, who have probably thrived or who have who have not. But black women, we've really honestly have. Um, we really want an education, even if that is outside of the of the of the four walls of school. We we do workshops, we get certifications. I'm seeing black women get certifications from starting eyelashes all the way to becoming doulas. Shout out to the doulas. Um, but I think that, I think we're in this time of 
we're not going to wait around for somebody to tell us when we need to go. We're not gonna wait around for people to make some change or for some people to do things that they need to do. We're gonna start that. We're going to create spaces for one another. We're gonna create spaces for our community. So I think, honestly, this is not anything brand new. I think now it's just the light has been shined on us. Mm -hmm. um, and so we've been, this is something we've been doing. So I think this is definitely our time mm -hmm. and it will continue to be. If people really understood that using having black women on their team, having black women in spaces and at the table, we could really honestly, we can make a lot of change in this country. Mm -hmm. And we see that, we're seeing it. Mm -hmm. Instead really of the Kamala Harris. Go ahead, Kyra, I'm sorry. Um, my husband said it best. Once again, black women save America from itself. Mm. And so, you know, it, like Devonna said, we are, we're no longer asking for permission. We're not asking for a seat at the table. We're making our own table and moving forward from there. Mm. So as we strategize amongst ourselves, Dave, I'll go back to you. Uh, this is a space you operate in, in in terms of the political side of it and from the economic side as well. What does accountability look like for Ooh, not just an incoming Biden administration, but for uh, local government, for our county government, for our city government? What does accountability look like and what posture should we have as African-Americans uh, where that's concerned? An assertive posture to start. Um, so I, we've talked a lot about the federal government, and I was literally going to both commend Kyra and Devonna for the work they're doing with Erie's Black Wall Street because I do believe it does start local. Mm -hmm. And we're having a conversation that's gone broad and national, but mm -hmm. we're we're all Erieites, right? And we right. all understand, and we can easily identify the roadblocks locally. Mm -hmm. And I think you know we need to be having assertive conversa conversations with institutions in Erie. Yeah. One of the things I'm most proud of my work here in Harrisburg was getting the Harrisburg Regional Chamber to identify systemic racism as the number one problem for economic growth in central Pennsylvania. Mm -hmm. Now, I don't know how many people have been to central Pennsylvania, <laughs> but it's certainly not the most progressive region of the country. Uh, and it's one that's very uh, traditional and old world in terms mm -hmm. of um, the economic engines of the region. So to get folks to say, Systemic racism is the number one impediment to economic growth in central Pennsylvania was a big task, but it does a number of things. It one, it recognizes the, the current diversity of your region. So I, most people don't recognize this, but Harrisburg is 70% African-American. The city of Harrisburg is 70% African-American. And no one would think of it as a majority black city. Mm. When you add Latinos there, like you're really talking in terms of 80% people of color in a city, in the capital city. And, you know, and communicating with uh, leaders in the region, I'm like, you guys come in and out of Harrisburg, but what are you, do you recognize that the world sees Harrisburg as the capital of this region? You know, the world is looking at what's happening in Harrisburg um, and kind of shaping their mind that way. I've often said, Erie is a place where every white person has a black person, if not in their family, but in their intimate lives. Yeah. So the idea that the idea that there is so much separation and there's so much uh, 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 division within the Erie community, yes, it's, it, it's true because we've allowed racism to promulgate, but it's not true in the way we live our social lives. Mm -hmm. It's not true in the Erie in the way we live our social lives. So if those things are true, then what institutions need to be brought to bear, right? We start with financial institutions because that is the engine that's keeping the economics of the region together. We're talking about the issuance of bonds. Let's be very, very clear. Government runs on the issuance of bonds 
those bonds are promoted mostly by large financial institutions. Mm. In Erie, I'll say it, in Erie, almost every bond that's issued in Erie County is from PNC Bank. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Almost every bond that's issued from Erie County is from PNC Bank. Right. Now look at PNC Bank, its leadership. Part of its leadership is our current mayor. Yes. You see what I'm saying? So yeah. the mayor of Erie, Pennsylvania, retired from a career with PNC Bank. And now PNC Bank is continually to do the bonds for the city. They're doing the bonds for the for for, for the waterfront, the bayfront. Mm. You look at, uh, and I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna put this on a button. I'm not trying to cut any cause any controversy, but I just think it's important to kind of understand the frame. Okay, we got a couple um, of minutes left, and I want to try to get Mark in before you wrap that up. But go ahead. I'm a T. I'm a T. Mark up right now because I'm going back to a point he made about the hotels, right? So those the hotels, the Sheridan and, and the Courtyard Mar Marriott, were bonded out by the county government. They're, they're managed by Erie Events. Mm -hmm. But the proceeds for the hotel go to a private entity. So all of the leverage is our tax dollars on those hotels. All of the, the, the liability is the county's liability for those hotels. That's what Erie Events is saying. If you don't give us $2 million, then we might not, might not be able to cover the bond issuance, right? But what is the benefit for the investment that we're making? Right. And I think, you know, when we start to have these conversations locally, we can easily identify those institutions that we need to have real conversations with. Mm, excellent. And so he is teeing that up for you, Mark. Uh, we talked a little bit with Dave about what does accountability look like, and he articulately unpacked some things for us. Mark, I think more than anyone that I know of in Erie, you have... Uh, successful at various points in, in, in the past few years, brought people of color together to say, you know, what are we going to do? So take us home with this conversation a little bit. As we move forward locally, give us an idea of where our minds should be at. We have to speed up our evolution. What, what we have to do is bring people like David and, and these young ladies together and then come up with our plan and be sincere with whatever our plan is. And then we bring the resources that we have together to, to create these opportunities, to exploit these opportunities. And then we have more political power than we ever had locally. And we have to unite that and we have to utilize that. We have two, two maybe three people on city council right now. We have four, four, for school board members. Why are we utilizing that to our benefit, to gain traction for everybody can benefit? And that's that's real talk, that's a real plan, and that's what we have to do. I've I've tried, and it's not about me. I tried though to bring everybody to that table, not to become a leader, but to become a facilitator so our community will not be going through the same things that we historically have been going through. Excellent points. So thank you so much, everyone, for participating in this show. And I'll just say in closing that Erie has, there's no shortage of talent in the African-American community in Erie. From the, the wisdom of people like Mel Witherspoon and, and Gary Horton to uh, the youthful energy of people like um, Kyra and Devana. So there's a lot of excitement going on here. We have an opportunity to shape our community in, in a way that um, has never been done before locally and nationally. And as we pointed out on several different points in the show, we need to take advantage of the moment. And so I want to thank Kyra Taylor, Devonna Paisley, both from Erie's Black Wall Street. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having us. Yes, yes. And also want to thank Dave Dix from uh, Luminous Strategies LLC. David, thank you so much for your points today as well. Always fun. Thank you. All right. And Mark Blunt, concerned citizen and host of Blunt Conversations. Mark, thank you so much for coming on today.
Thank you. All right, and so that's all we have time for today. We'd like to thank our guests again for joining us. Thank you for tuning in. Be sure to listen every fourth Sunday of the month at 4 p.m. on 91.3 FM. I'm Marcus Atkinson for WQLN. I say so long, and we will